the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, the Ammonites have picked a fight with Israel, and even though Jephthah first tries to reason with their king to find a peaceful solution and avoid bloodshed, they just won't listen. And Israel is once again forced to defend themselves. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 11, verse 1. The title of the message is, The Agony of Victory. I grew up a sports kid. I mean, that's what we did in my family. We did sports. If I wasn't at the field playing baseball on the team, we were out back playing wiffle ball, throwing the football, usually through windows basketball on the front court, trying to beat my dad. That was growing up how life was. So I'm old enough that on every Saturday, we would watch ABC Wide World of Sports. That was the ESPN before there was ESPN. And of course, you have the iconic voice of Jim McKay, where he would say that famous line, the thrill of victory. And then you'd see the guy come down the ski jump and absolutely wipe out. And then he'd say the second part, the agony of defeat. And then they'd catch you up on all the things that were going on in the wide world of sports. And while that statement, of course, people have repeated it time and time again in all sorts of different situations, there is a lot of truth to the statement. However, victory doesn't always guarantee you don't experience agony. It doesn't. 148 Olympians over the years have gone through the agony of having their medals stripped from them later on because they didn't compete fairly when they experienced the thrill of victory. So experiencing the thrill of victory does not mean you will never experience agony from that victory, which shows that how you win is just as important as winning. Jephthah is about to lead God's people to freedom from the Ammonites. I mean, that's a huge thing, a huge victory. All the disappointment of his past, the rejection, everything, is about to be replaced with honor and glory as he trusts the Lord and follows him onward. But how he wins, some of the things that he does in the process are going to bring agony to both him and to the nation. So as we study through this, and we see the, the beauty of his trusting God in the beginning and the victory over the Ammonites. Let's also choose to be those who live the victorious Christian life the right way so we can experience the blessings that come with it instead of heartache because we didn't do it the right way. So chapter 11, we begin in verse 12. It says here in Judges 11, verse 12, And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, 
What have you to do with me that you are come against me to fight in my land? And the king of the children of Ammon answered unto the messengers of Jephthah, saying, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt, from Arnon even unto Jabbok and unto Jordan. Now therefore, restore those lands again peaceably. Here we see that Jephthah, he's got his army on one side of Gilead, and then the Ammonites are on the very borders of Israel where they just come into Israel, not fighting yet. Jephthah, of course, remember the leaders of Gilead came to him, appealed to him because he was an elite soldier in Israel, been trained by a very wealthy father, but he was illegitimate. He was born from a harlot, and so he had been exiled. He'd been cast out. Not just his family had turned against him, but all the leaders of his people had turned against him, of his tribe. And so he'd been living as an exile, heading up a group of bandits known as a fierce warrior, surviving out in the middle of nowhere. And so they turned to him to be the, the leader of their troops. And so Jephthah's here, but he tries before he fights, he tries diplomacy. But the king of Ammon replies to his hopes for diplomacy with an untruth. The king says to him, the reason we're here fighting with you is, you know, Jephthah says, why are you here fighting in my land? And he says, the reason we're here is because it's not your land. You took it from us when you came up out of Egypt. Restore those lands again to us peaceably and everything will be fine. You know, it's interesting, the land that he mentions here, the land from Arnon, even unto Jabbok, Arnon is the river that's on the southern border of Israel on the Transjordan. We're not in Israel proper now. We're on the other side, modern-day Jordan. We're on that side of the river right now. And on the bottom part there, where the country of Moab was, the northern border of Moab, and the southern border of Israel was the river Arnon. Now, as you do that, you go Arnon, and then you would go up, and you would come to the top, and you would have the river Jabbok. And the river Jabbok would come down like this. And over here is the Ammonites' land. The river Jabbok was the border of the Ammonites' land. And then you have the river Jordan right here. So you've got this kind of sideways rectangle of land, of space, that is being disputed here. And Israel had lived, the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad had lived here for the last 300 years after they took it from King Sargon. So this is either a flat-out lie or anti-Israeli propaganda for the last 300 years have convinced Ammonites that this is the truth. So either way, their cause, though, is not just. They're using this as an excuse to fight against them, whether they believe it's true or they know it's not true. Either way, their cause is not just. This land belongs to Israel. The only reason that God had allowed the Ammonites to defeat Israel for the last 18 years is because they were his instruments of discipline, right? Right? That's the only reason the Ammonites had beaten Israel the last 18 years. But now that God is showing mercy to Israel, to still come to attack is to come of their own accord, to come of their own greed. It has nothing to do with God's discipline now. And so God gives them a way out as Jephthah doesn't erupt into, you know, what? No, that's not true. He uses more diplomacy to explain the truth. Verse 14 and gives them a way to get out of this without bloodshed. Verse 14, And Jephthah sent messengers again to the king of the children of Ammon. They said unto him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon. He says, But when Israel came up from Egypt, and they walked through the wilderness under the Red Sea, and they came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray you, pass through your lands. But the king of Edom would not listen to them. In like manner, they sent unto the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel abode in Kadesh. Now, when Israel came out of Egypt, they made a straight line for the promised land. 
Now, that didn't go well, of course. Remember, they went to go in, and then the people said, we can't go in there. There's giants, there's walled cities, there's uh, innumerable armies. We can't beat them. And so they had to wander in the area of Kadesh, the wilderness area, for 38 years total of their circular wanderings. At the end of those 38 years, they began moving again toward the promised land, but not straight up the south. They went around to the Transjordan on the other side. And so they asked the Edomites if they could go through their land first. They're south of Moab. They said no. So they went around Edomites. They come to the land of Moab. Could we come through your land? No. So then they have to go around the land of Moab. And when they crossed over the river Arnon, they went into the land of the Amorites. So Israel, up to this point, they've not been taking any land that wasn't the promised land. Now, God had specifically told them, I don't want you fighting against the Edomites, because why? Who are the Edomites? The descendants of Esau. Their family, in a sense. Not exactly happy family, but their family. And so God said, no, that's the land I gave to Esau. Isaac blessed Esau, and so I gave him this land. God said, don't fight the Moabites. Why? They're the descendants of Lot. The same thing happened with the Ammonites. They could have gone around and attacked the Ammonites, but the Ammonites are also the descendants of Lot. The Israelites never took an inch of ground from the Moabites, Edomites, or the Ammonites. So Israel's procedure on the way to the promised land was always to say, can we please come through your land? We'll pay for whatever we eat. We don't mean any harm. We're just trying to get to our homeland. And every time they were denied. At some point, they were going to have to force their way through land. And the one point that they could that God would allow them was where there was no promise of God, the land of the Amorites. And so it says, so then they went along through the wilderness, like I just explained, And they compassed, they went around in a circle, around the land of Edom and the land of Moab, and they came by the east side of the land of Moab and pitched on the other side of Arnon, the river that marks the northern border of Moab. But they did not come within the border of Moab, for Arnon is the border of Moab. Verse 19. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon, right north of Moab. And Israel said unto him, let us pass, we pray you, through your land into my place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his coast, his borders. But Sihon gathered all of his people together and pitched his army in Jahaz, right near Israel, and fought against Israel. So Israel got this chunk of land, not because they wanted it, not because they took it from anybody, but because they couldn't get to their land and no one would give safe passage. So someone came out to fight them in the one place God said, you need to go through. So they fought against Israel. Verse 21 explains what happened. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all of his people into the hand of Israel. And they smote them. They defeated them, wiped them out. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country, not the Ammonites. Israel's claim to the land is just because this is not Ammonite land. They took it from the Amorites. Verse 22, and they possessed all the borders of the Amorites from Arnon to Jabbok and from the wilderness even unto Jordan. That is the chunk of land that the Ammonites are accusing them of taking from them. Basically, he's saying, it wasn't yours when we took it. (laughs) The Amorites had it, and we didn't want it from them, but they came out to fight us. So when we conquered them, the land, by virtue of war, became ours. We didn't steal it from anybody. Verse 23, Jephthah now explains that our claim, therefore, to this land is just. So now. The Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites. He took it from them, from before his people Israel. And should you just get it? Should you possess it? That's not right. 
Will you not possess that which Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? He's reasoning with them. He's explaining. He goes, listen. He goes, if we came to you and said, uh, hey, uh, the land that you live in right now, that's ours. Our God's given it to us. You go, uh, no, our God gave it to us. And, and we would have no just claim for that. So why are you saying that that's okay to do to us? To say that, well, your God said it's, it's your land. No, it's not. Our God gave it to us. So you keep what your God gave to you, and we'll stick with what God gave to, our God gave to us, and everybody's happy. We can all go home, and nobody dies. But Jephthah explains, if you're not going to think that way, then we will fight you. So whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, then we will possess. We took this land because God gave us victory over those who tried to kill us. So if you want it, you're going to take it from our cold, dead hands. That's the only way you're going to get it. But he's still trying to reason. Verse 25, he says, And now, are you anything better than Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? He reminds them that the Moabites never contested this land. They never contested Israel's claim to this land. And then he explains, you guys didn't either the last 300 years. Verse 26, while Israel dwelt in Heshbon and her towns and in Aror and her towns and in all the cities that be along the coast of, of the Arnon for 300 years, why therefore did you not recover them within that time? If we took them from you, the Moabites, why didn't they argue for you? And how come you didn't try to take them back then? Why all of a sudden now? Why now when we're down, when our God was disciplining us, now you think it's okay to take it and that we're just gonna go away? No, 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 no. You're not God's instrument of discipline anymore. You're here on your own. And that means you're not gonna win this time. So Jephthah, again, he's still not done negotiating with them. Verse 27, he says, if none of this deters you, he explains, wherefore, because of this, here's my conclusion. In light of Jephthah's points, he's saying, in light of my points, we have not sinned against you. I have not sinned against you. But you do me wrong to war against me. You're in the wrong here. Go home and everything's fine. They said, give us the land and everything's fine. And Jephthah says, no, go home and everything will be fine. And if they won't, he says, the Lord be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. This is now far more than an argument over land. It's a moral argument now involving the judge of the universe. You know, it's interesting that we find ourselves here in this passage in light of the times that we live in, isn't it? Because there are many people who claim that Israel has stolen the land, that it's not their land. It doesn't belong to them. It belongs to someone else. One of the reasons that they don't let the Jews do any digging up on the mount is because they're going to find even more evidence of Jewish occupation there, of all the history of the Jews. You know, when they discovered the city of David, the palace of David, the Muslims, not Muslim people, but the political groups that are there, they were all up in arms like, no, and they tried to put all these blocks for the dig and everything. Because David obviously predates Muhammad <laughs> by a lot. And so as a result of that, they were saying, well, we don't want you digging around there. We, we think it's a crusader fortress or this or that or the other thing. And so, you know, they don't like these proofs coming out because they have perpetrated amongst their people and amongst a lot of folks in the world saying that Israel's robbers and thieves. This land doesn't belong to them. 
when we get into these discussions with people, I think they feel like we're arguing from a perspective of we're taking a side for who it belongs to. The reason I, th- I think they don't understand the argument is because it's not an argument about who the land belongs to. It's a moral argument about what's right and about what's wrong. Do you understand that? It's why people say, why does the church support Israel so much? It's not that we support everything Israel does. I don't support every little thing Israel does. There's things Israel does sometimes that I cringe at and I go, that's not gonna work out well. Israel is in the land right now in unbelief. They're not there because they're so holy or they're so spiritual. Everything's wonderful. We shouldn't be all the time going, oh, Israel's wonderful. All that being said though, there is a moral argument for them to be there because of what God says is right. That's why we stand with them. Not because we think they're right with God or because we like all their policies or anything else. Now, I will say this. They're the only democracy in that part of the world. They're the only area in that world that's prospering, that people love to be there, and they love to be part of the culture and everything. You talk to the Muslims area, there's so many different religious groups are there, and they love it there. They don't want their country to change. They don't want it to become like Iraq or anywhere else or Iran or anywhere else. It's a beautiful place over there, and God's hand of blessing is upon it, not because they deserve it, but because he said he would do that when Israel came back to the land. Numerous prophecies about that. So we stand for it because it's a matter of right and wrong. It's not because it's a matter of we're picking a side of who we think the land should belong to. It's a moral argument, and it does involve the judge of the universe. If you've never watched some of the documentaries or read some of the articles about what happened during the War of 48, 57, 67, 73, and all the various conflicts that have occurred in Israel, you need to. Because when you read the accounts of what the enemies have been saying, about what they heard, or what they saw, they would talk about seeing tanks all over the place when there was one, (laughs) one tank defending a hill. They would talk about troops coming by that never existed, that Israelis just said, we didn't have any troops over there. There are so many supernatural things that occurred that Israel won when they should have lost. It's funny, Israel has always claimed, well, it's our military superiority, the will of the people and everything. Yeah, God humbled them in the Lebanese war in the early 2000s, late 90s, because they didn't do so well. He didn't come to their aid that time and things got bogged down and it was ugly. And you know what's gonna happen in Ezekiel 38 and 39? They're gonna be in such a heap of a mess that they're not gonna be able to get out of it. And God will make it clear he's the one giving them the victory when he supernaturally destroys five-sixths of that army with fire from heaven. So the point is, I don't have to love every little thing that Israel does to stand for the idea that they belong in that land. It's a moral argument, and it involves a judge of the universe, and that's not a judge you want to go against. (laughs) Now, How does God handle such cases when the judge of the universe is called to arbit between two people who have action against each other? Well, God makes it very clear who he helps and who he resists. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, has Israel already humbled themselves at this point? Yeah, they have. They've gotten rid of their idols. They've cried out to the Lord. They said, Lord, whatever you think is right to do to us, we're cool with it. Just please rescue us from these people that want to kill us. They're in the perfect place for God to move. Now the ball's in the court of the Ammonites. Will they humble themselves? Will they recognize that the claim they're making is not just, that it's a lie? 
Judgment can be avoided if the king of Ammon will humble himself just like Israel has. And nobody has to die. Verse 28, what does he do? Howbeit the king of the children of Ammon hearkened not unto the words of Jephthah, which he sent him. The phrase hearken not means to not believe information and respond correctly. He didn't believe what he said, didn't trust what he said, and therefore he did not respond correctly to it. He said, well, that's not how I see it, Mr. Jephthah, so get ready to fight. Now, here's the truth. Whether you see something a certain way or not doesn't invalidate what it really is. Now, I know we have all sorts of silly arguments that are coming about these days. Well, I identify as a Coke machine, you know, I, this, that, and the other thing. I get it, you know, and I understand the, the logic behind such points. I, I understand that. But I think sometimes in our mockery of what appears to be an obvious truth where someone's not embracing an obvious truth is that we actually miss the point. Is that it doesn't matter what I think is right or wrong, true or false, real or fake. There's only real and fake. There's only truth or lies. There's only right or wrong, right? So it doesn't really matter what my opinion about these things is. So the heart of the issue is when someone comes to me and they say, you know, I, I think I might be a different gender, or I think I might be this, or I think, you know, and they're struggling with these things. I don't really talk to them and go, well, it's obvious you're a boy or a girl or this or that, you know. I don't have that conversation with them. I, I ask the question, I say, why do you think you get to determine who you are? Because that's the deeper problem. I remember reading Rosaria Butterfield's biography of her life. She was an outspoken person for the LGBT movement for many years. She was the head of the literature department at Syracuse University, well-respected professor in the country. She was a lesbian. And she explains in her biography, she said, my biggest problem wasn't dealing with my sexual sin. She goes, my biggest problem was realizing I'm not God. I don't get to determine what's true or what's right. That my idea of who I am is not necessarily correct because that's who I think I am. But bending the knee to the sovereign God of the universe who made me, that was my biggest struggle, my biggest problem. And she explains, she talks about how in the prophets, they talk about how the sin of Sodom was pride. It was pride. Isn't it interesting that the whole LGBT movement is defined by the word pride? Isn't that interesting? Pride is the issue. We spend all this time saying, ah, ah, you're an abomination kissing a girl because you're a girl. What really we need to focus on the problem is idolatry is in your heart. You think you get to determine what's right or what's wrong? Well, it feels right. Well, this is how I think I am. Or this is, I just know myself and I know this is what I really am. Listen, you know what the Bible says? You can't even know your own heart. Heart's deceitful and wicked more than any other thing in the whole wide world. Why would we ever trust it? When young people today hear these things, the reason they fall for it so easily is not because of some agenda out there that's confusing them and inundating them. No, we're empowering young people to believe that they get to determine what's right and what's wrong. That's the problem. We're teaching them a culture of pride that you get to say what's right, what's wrong, what's real, what's not. What's true, what's false. But none of us gets to determine those things. The Lord of the universe is the one who determines those things. 
The king of Ammon did this with thousands of lives hanging in the balance. It was irresponsible. It was foolish, unwise. But the truth is, we actually face these same type of decisions every day. Will I believe what God says or how I see things? And whenever I'm faced with that choice, something hangs in the balance. Is it your marriage right now? Your kids? Your influence? Your character? Your testimony as a Christian? Whenever we're faced with those choices, something always hangs in the balance. And it's easy in those moments to harden our hearts and to underestimate the cost. I've never met an alcoholic who said, you know, I went into this and I knew full well I'd lose my entire family. I'd lose my marriage. I'd lose my family. I'd lose my career, my reputation, everything. I knew I'd lose everything, but I did it anyway. I've never met one that said that. I've met a lot who said, I thought I had it under control. A lot. And that's the same case, whether it's pornography, drugs, alcohol, addiction to work, whatever it might be. Whenever someone begins to prioritize what they feel and think over what God says, something is always going to hang in the balance. So it's easy to harden our hearts and to underestimate the cost. That's what a proud person does. And you'll never get a good response from God in that state. Humble yourself. Trust Him. Back down. Because you're never going to win a fight against God. And you'll never come out victorious. You're never going to raise the hand and hold up the belt. That's never happening when you fight against God. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.